Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. I'm just, I'm just curious, is, is anybody glad that we serve a God that does not leave us and never forsakes us? And here's the thing, there are times where you go through situations in life and it feels as though you've been forgotten. And it feels as though he's far from you. But how many know that if it feels far, that means that he's actually close? I've said it all the time, but if he really was far, you would feel nothing. The farness that you feel really is God showing you, hey, I'm, I'm actually near. You just got to seek me. You just got to search me. That's why we're here. That's why we've gathered here to celebrate and, and seek after the Lord. Um, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I am grateful to be gathered with the people of God, uh, both in this room, uh, virtually, those of you who are online, and, uh, and those, if anybody is next door, those of you who are next door. I woke up this morning and I was praying for, uh, for us this morning because I realized that this, this time of the year is really hard for, for some people. And, you know, there are some people that rejoiced, and, but there are some people who are mourning the loss of loved ones and, and thinking about someone who was here within the last year, last Thanksgiving, that, you know, that family member was here and that can be tough. Uh, but I, I just, I want to encourage you this morning, if you came in heavy or depressed or anxious in any way, uh, don't give up. The scripture tells us in Psalm 16, verse 11, weep and make endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And we find joy in the presence of the Lord, which is why the Bible says in the presence of the Lord. Somebody say there's fullness of joy. Y'all do me a favor. Just look at somebody and say, I'm happy to see you today. Now look back at that same person and say, you're a little, you're, you know, you're a little low key today. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. We have made it to the house of God. We are here, y'all. And God has been gracious and been faithful and we give him complete glory and complete praise. Uh, let's get to it. Um, it. It seems like y'all are ready for the word. So let's let's do it. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do me a favor. Go back to the Old Testament toward the beginning of the Bible. Or if you're scrolling, you can scroll to the top. You'll find the book of Second Samuel. It is toward the top. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. Uh, you will find Second uh, Samuel there. Pray that everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Pray that you guys ate well. Pray that the itis kicked in and you took a good nap. And then you got up and you ate again. Uh, we had a, a, an amazing time uh, down at my family's house. Uh, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's, I don't know, I love the holidays. I love the winter holidays. It's something about Thanksgiving and Christmas that, um, that, that breeds joy in my heart. My, my oldest son is with us. He, uh, he moved down to Baltimore, but he is with us today, my oldest son. I started to bring him up here since Yolanda and Gabe had, you, you want to come up and hold my hand? No, you good? <laughs> I wasn't sure if we was going to do that today or not, but um, I'm, I'm glad he's uh, spent the holiday with us. All right, let's, let's do it. First, uh, second Samuel, if you're there, just say amen. amen. September is good to see you. Been praying for you. Um, do me a favor. I just don't check out like this, this, this story in second Samuel, the last chapter, we're in chapter 24, if I didn't say it, sorry, y'all chapter 24, 
which is the very last chapter, this story is not a familiar story. You might have heard it, heard of it. You might have uh, read it, read it before, uh, but it's just not a it's not a typical story that you typically hear across the pulpit. But I, I genuinely believe that there's so much. We actually could do two parts to this um, to this story, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read a lot today because I just want to I want to capture some some uh, some some context here. So if you do me a favor and just don't check out, like seriously, stay, stay with me, stay on the text and read along with me because I think the Lord's going to use it. All right. Verse one, 2 Samuel 24, it says, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he incited David against them saying, go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the, com- the commander of the army who was with him, go throughout all the tribes of Israel And from Dan to Beersheba and number the people that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are. While the eyes of my Lord, the king can still see it. Pay attention to this next phrase that Joab says. But why does my Lord, the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commander of the army, Joab, the commander of the army. So Joab, the commander of the army, went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and begin uh, from Aurora and from the city that is in the middle of the valley toward Gad and on to Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to Gadesh in the land of the Hittites and they came to Dan from Dan they went around to Sidon and they came to the fortress of Tyra and to all the cities of the Hivites Hivites and the Canaanites and they went out to Nagab and uh, of Judah of Beersheba so when they had gone throughout the land they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months so it took them nine months and 20 days to collect this census and count the number of the army And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people uh, to the king in Israel. There were 800,000 violent men who drew the sword and the men of Judah were 500,000. So the army is over a million people at this point. Verse 10, plot twist, y'all. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad. Now, the prophet Gad is going to speak to David on behalf of the Lord. David's seer or David's prophet saying, go and say to David, thus says the Lord, there are three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said, Here's number one, y'all. Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or number two, will you flee three months before your foes or your enemy while they pursue you? Number three, shall there be uh, days of pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him, meaning God who sent me. Y'all following along so far? Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. A few more verses, y'all. So the Lord sent the pestilence 
on to Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it is not enough now to stay. Now it is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor at Arana, the Jebusite. Last verse for, for now. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Let's stop there. I want to preach today from the topic entitled still searching. It'll make sense in a second, but still searching. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord. May we not presume to understand this text without him. Father, we are here. We've, we've gathered in this room, weathered through the cold, because we want to be challenged and encouraged by your word, both of them in which your word is able to do so. Uh, and both of them are necessary for our spiritual growth. So Lord, I, I pray that you would illuminate our minds in, 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 in ways that, that we normally don't get when we just read. Show us something. Don't just give us, don't just give us a good word today. Lord, I pray that you would transform us. Pray that the end of this sermon would be transformed lives, transformed behaviors, conviction, all of the things that your spirit is able to do and bring. May Jesus be glorified. May Jesus be preached. May he be seen even in this passage. It's in Christ's name we give glory. Somebody say amen. amen. Still searching. Speaking of searching, a couple months ago, I lost my wedding ring, like, like lost it, lost it. Like I couldn't find it. And, you know, there's a few places in the house that I usually I usually put it if I'm washing dishes or I'm cooking. I usually put it. I got the spot, you know, in the kitchen that I put it um, or, you know, if, if I'm going to bed, there's a spot. You know, I usually there's like two places I have in the house that is, is normally there. I don't you know, I, I don't like to leave it everywhere because I just know me and I'll, I'll lose it easily. I searched both of those spots. It wasn't there. And so I did more of an exhaustive search. I went up under the bed and tried to find it, searched all my coat pockets. I, I couldn't find it for three months. Your boy was out here looking like he was single and ready to mingle. And, and, and that wasn't my disposition. I just could not find my wedding ring. I'm saying it got to the point where I was like, Ty, I can't find it. Maybe I lost it outside. Maybe I lost it on the train. Therefore, I sent her a few and, you know, I went to upgrade and I was like, you, you lost this. You can't upgrade. But I was trying to upgrade it. You know, I was sending her some stuff. Uh, but to no avail, I couldn't find it. Three months later, I picked up a pair of pants that I never wear. And lo and behold, they were in the pocket of the pants. Now, this isn't the only time I've lost something. A couple months ago, in fact, it was last month. I flew into Chicago and Ty was already there. So I was by myself and had my bags and I was rushing because I was running late to an event. And I, 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 um, I got to where I was supposed to be. I sat down and I thought I had everything. And I'm looking around going, you know, where's my phone? Because, you know, we can't stay too far from the gram. So I'm like, where's my phone at? I want you know, to see what's going on. And I couldn't find my phone. So I took Ty's phone and I called it. And there's a deep voice on the other end. It was my Uber driver. I left the phone in the Uber, cost your boy $30 to get him to come back to give me the Uber. I mean, give me the, 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 the phone. This actually happened again a few weeks later. <laughs> I was sitting in the Uber with my youngest son. And it wasn't my phone this time, but I was sitting in the Uber with my youngest son. And, you know, I, I get out the Uber and I'm looking for my ear pods and I couldn't find my ear pods. And, 
And then, you know, but this one was easy. I could go on the Find My app and I saw my ear pods riding around Brooklyn and my youngest son went to parent me. You're supposed to get out and check before you, you know, before you get out the Uber, you're supposed to check the back seat where he was right. This one as well cost me money to get the Uber to come back to my house or back to my location. The question I have for you is, have you ever lost anything, like something that was valuable, something that genuinely messed your day up? Like the AirPods didn't mess my day up, the phone a little bit, that wedding ring really threw me off for three months. Have you ever lost anything? That, I want to see a show of hands. Have you ever lost anything that was valuable? Maybe it was a, a family prized possession or an important document like a passport. Maybe it was a, a house key. Maybe you lost your glasses or some Apple headphones. We have all been at the expense of loss. I believe it is true in our spiritual journey as well. I think oftentimes we find ourselves spiritually in, in the same situation, the same way I was looking for my wedding ring. I believe that many of us go through the spiritual journey and there are times that we lose sight of the fact that, of what is most important. And I'm not talking a physical object. There are times where we lose sight of the fact that God is our source. In the text today, that is exactly what happened. David and Israel is losing sight of the fact that they belong to the Lord, their most prized possession, that the Lord is their goal, that he is, he's their message, he's their source. They seem to have lost sight. Now, you don't really see that when you just read through it. I know many of you are going, I, I, I don't know what this passage is talking about. But if you dig deep enough, you will find out that Israel is spiritually wandering right now. David is spiritually wandering right now. In fact, let's just get into the text. I just want to read and kind of explain some of this. Verse one, it says, and again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he incited David against them saying, go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people that I may know the number of the people. Then the Bible says in verse number nine, and Joab, so he did it, Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people and it came to 800,000 people who were in 800,000 warriors or, or, or military might was in Israel. 500,000 was in Judah. You got to remember that both of the kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdoms was split. David now united them. And so he's counting the army in both. Now, when I read this, I don't know if y'all are like me, but I'm going, well, what's wrong with that? Verse 10 then goes on to say, but David's heart struck him after, after he numbered the people. And David said to, said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly. Bro, where? All you did was, I, I think, is good leadership. All you did was counted the people. This seems wise. Don't you want to know how many people are in the army? Don't, don't you want to understand your, what, what military might you have? What, is anybody else like me, like, what seems to be the problem? Why has he sinned? All we saw him do was send Joab the general out for nine, months and, uh, for nine months to simply count the people. I don't understand what the problem is, but you got to understand what the problem is, is God actually told David not to do this. It's simple. David sinned because he did something that God said not to do. Now, I know you want more, but period, point blank, we need, no, do you need something else? What else do we need? If God said, don't do it, don't do it. But unfortunately, y'all, y'all know it's true that we live in a culture and we live in a time where we get to make up what God said and what God didn't say. 
Y'all know we live in a time where we want to justify what we do and we do it based on us having the standard of right and wrong instead of God setting the standard. Well, Pastor B, where did, you know, where did God tell David not to do it? He told all of Israel in Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, take that down. When you take a census of the children of Israel for their number, watch this. He wants a sacrifice. He says, then every man shall give a ransom for itself to the Lord. When you number them, here's the consequence that there may be no plague among you when you number them. In other words, God is like, you can't number them. And here's the principle behind it. In ancient times, only the one who owned something had the right to count it. And because Israel's army did not belong to David, he had no right to just count the army. Do y'all know that Israel is God's chosen people? That David is God's chosen king? That the, that the army is God's chosen army. And so David counting was David saying, I own the army. This is my arm. This is my military might. And God is like, no, it's not. You're, you're not supposed to count unless I've given you approval to count. Now, this doesn't seem that big of a deal, but, but this, is how we, this is how we operate. And none of you in this room, I don't think you're, you're royalty in terms of a monarchy and you don't have an army that is under, you don't have the nuke codes, but many of us are just like David. We're not counting armies. We are disobeying God, even though he told us to do something else, we're disobeying him in other ways. And, and I know, I know that's the room. There are some of you in here, you know it's point blank, it ain't gray, it's black and white, that God said no, and somewhere along the lines, you made his no a maybe. And then somewhere else along the lines, when you make his no a maybe, you're, you then make his no become a yes. And here's how we justify it. Oh, man, y'all quiet, but this is how we justify it. We, we go, you know what? I know it's not right, but I think it's right, and I'm not hurting nobody. I've heard that so many times. As long as I don't hurt nobody, then I should be good. But when you have the disposition and you've taken the place of creating what is right and wrong, do you know that your disposition has now put you in the place of God? Only God can say what is good. Only God can say what is evil. Only God can say what is right. Only God can say what is wrong. Y'all ain't feeling. Only God can say what is acceptable. Only God can say what is not acceptable. Who are you to say, I know you said don't do it, but I'm going to twist your word a little bit and I'm going to justify it for myself. That's what David is doing. David's like, I know you said in Exodus 30 not to count the army, but I need to know what the, how big the army is. And at that moment, he becomes wise in his own eyes. How many know that's the most dangerous place to be? When you think that you are wiser than God, I'm not hurting nobody. Why can't I sleep with my boyfriend? I ain't hurting nobody. Why can't I tell, you know, a bold-faced lie? I'm not hurting nobody. Oh, this one might get me in trouble. Why can't I change my gender from the one that God gave me? I ain't hurting nobody. Is it not my body? And when you do that, you are no better than David taking a census, even though God said, do not do so. Somebody look at your neighbor and just say, you ain't smarter than God. Oh, come on. Talk in here. Look at somebody and say, you ain't smarter than God. Only God can determine. If God says something right, it's not right because you think it's right. It's right because God said it's right. And the reverse is true as well. If God said something wrong, it's not wrong because you believe it's wrong. It's wrong because God said that it's wrong. It doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what, what, what's deep in our heart. At the core of your disobedience is a rebellion against a God that sets the standard. 
God sets the, if God sets the standard, who are we to buck up against it? I feel a pastoral obligation this afternoon to really help us because the culture has twisted God and, and twisted his word. And now we get to choose and, and pick what it is that we want. And it's nothing but pure disobedience and rebellion against not just a God, but a God that's been faithful to you. Is he not been faithful to you? So why would we, why would we intentionally push against him? And here's the crazy thing. We only do that with God. We have laws to this land, whether you agree with them or not. There are laws that we have to live under. Nobody is bucking up against the laws and saying, but I ain't hurt nobody. Nobody is like, yo, I hate that coworker. I'm going to go kill her. You know why you don't just go kill her? Because you know that, there is, that there, there's a consequence because it's illegal to take life. And so the reason that even though in your heart you may not like them and you want to annihilate them, the reason you don't is because you are restrained. It is only with God that we play these games. Why do we live under the laws of this land, but you don't live under the laws of God and we try to pick and choose to make God say what he does not say? Why do we do that? that. You go kill your co-worker tomorrow. I got to go through the paperwork to get a clergy pass to visit you at Rikers. It's too much work. It's too much work. The reason you don't do that is because you only, we only play these games when it comes to God. And so right and wrong, God sets the standard. Good and evil, God says, I'm glad you know what good and evil is. You only know what it is because God has already set the standard. So God was keeping David in this moment from claiming ownership of his army. And so he says, don't count the census. Don't you count that number. The other thing I think that God was doing was trying to keep David from pride because counting, counting the army in ancient time, when a, when a king would count the army, it was a sense, it was a measurement of his stature. You could beat your chest. I got over a million, over a million people in my army. And that becomes the standard. And again, we, we don't, which is not like connecting for us because we don't have an army. But many of us count so many other things as a source of our stature and a measurement of, of who we are. And we do that with, 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 with invites to, you know, to special events. And I got an event, nobody else. You're counting the army. We do that with our money. See what I got in the bank account? You're counting the army. We, 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 we do, as a pastor, I got to be careful. I do, you can easily do that on Sunday mornings. Counting the army is a replacement of counting the services. And we look around and be like, oh, look at all the people. And you start to beat your chest. And how many know that, that heaven is a pride-free zone? That there's nobody in heaven that can actually beat their chest. And here's why, because you made it in by grace and you made it in by mercy. You don't make it in because your army is so strong. And so it says here, Man, I feel like this is not connected. Are we good? And so the Bible says here that David counted the army. After he was done, he repents in verse 10. He's like, oh, man, Lord, I have sinned that this thing that I this thing that I have done was he didn't just say foolish. He said it was very foolish. And because he sinned against God, God punishes him. Now, the punishment. Can I be honest? Your boy was a little triggered. Y'all, you know how we say that now? Like, man, that triggers me. I was a little triggered. I never get triggered reading the word. I was triggered because it brought me back to my childhood. Let me, let me read it. Verse number 10, it says, And David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning... The word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's prophet or David's seer, saying, 
Go and say to David, thus says the Lord, three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him uh, and said to him, uh, shall, shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your enemies or your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Watch this. David's like, man, is there a fourth choice? There's none of the above. He says, now consider and decide what answer I shall return back to God who sent me. Verse 14. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord for, the, for his mercy is great. But let us not fall into the hand of man. Did y'all just peep what happened? God just gave David a multiple choice of his punishment and said, pick one. Bruh, I'm like, none of them are good. Pick one. You know, this is why I was triggered because, you know, when I was a kid, me and my brother, we used to, you know, my, my grandmother would watch us for the summer. And when we would act up, she would say, you see that tree? Go get the switch. And I used to be like, yo, what kind of twisted psychological trauma is this? You want me to participate in my punishment? And I would get the smallest switch. And y'all know what she would do, right? Oh, that ain't it. Go back out there and get another switch. And if I didn't bring the right switch, she would go get the switch. This is why I said, I, I love y'all, you know, the young people. But this is why I said y'all a little, you know, a little sensitive, a little weak. Because we would have to pick the switch. I bet you y'all ain't have that done. Y'all did? How old are you? Has anybody 25 and down have had to pick a switch? I'm serious. 25 and down. No? This is what I'm saying. You over here? Oh, you grew up with my grandmother. That's what it was. <laughs> it's traumatizing. Like, God literally tells David, I got three options. I feel like this, the, the, the Trinity was sitting in heaven and was going, yo, you pick one. I'm going to pick one. Now, spirit, you pick one. And they all came over three and they couldn't decide. So they was like, I'm making this up. And they decided, it was like, go down there, give them all three. Let them pick it. And so David is finally like, I, I can't pick it. What are the three? Three years of famine are going to come to your land. Do you want that? Uh, I don't know. What, what, will you flee three months while your enemy pursues you? I don't know. How about pestilence? I'll send pestilence in the land. And it got to the point where David was not able to answer. I know David was looking for that D, none of the above. I know he was looking for it, but he doesn't answer. He doesn't answer it specifically which one. But what he says is, I know you're gracious and merciful, so I would rather fall into your hand than actually fall into man. So in other words, don't give me that B. I don't want, to, I don't want my enemies pursuing me. Just don't give me that one because that's man. I need something supernatural that only you are able to do. So maybe the famine or maybe the pestilence. And the Bible says in verse 15, so the Lord sent the pestilence in Israel from morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people of Dan to Beersheba. Watch this. 70,000 men. David's sin caused a consequence for 70,000 men. 70,000 seemingly innocent men. And I know what y'all are doing. Y'all are going, yo, that, that, don't seem, that don't seem fair. I know you're doing it. You're thinking that doesn't seem fair. It's David that told Joab, to go count the army. It's, it's David that, that, that approved this. Why do you make 70,000 men die? Can I, make it, can I even go deeper and make this sound a little bit more unfair? If you go back to verse 1, notice in the text today who told him to count the army. Oh, I don't know if y'all, it says in verse one, and again, the anger of the Lord kindled. So this is the Lord we're talking about. The anger of the Lord kindled, kindled against Israel and he, 
meaning the Lord incited David against it, against them, saying, go number Israel. Are y'all sitting here like, wait, not only are you going to punish me, but you're going to punish me for something that you told me to do? Listen, y'all, this is, I feel a pastoral obligation to clarify this because let's remember David says he's in sin and God never leads us to sin. And so the text is not, it's not saying that, that, that God told David to go sin. This is why it's important to never just read. You got to let scripture interpret scripture. You can never just read one verse and build a whole theology off of it. You got to cross-reference this verse with, second, with 1 Chronicles 21. Y'all with me? 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1 says this, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So what do we do with this? How do we reconcile that verse 1 in our chapter today said he, meaning the Lord, incited David. But then 1 Chronicles 21 says Satan incited David to count the number. See, I know what y'all going. See, this is why I don't mess with church. This is why I don't mess with y'all. Because y'all be breezing over the contradictions like they ain't there. Well, playboy, give me a second. Give me a second to work through this. You have to understand what is happening. It's not a contradiction. It's the mystery of God's sovereignty. Because in 2 Chronicles, the scripture is clear that it is Satan himself that, that, that incited David to go against what God said. But in our verse today, it says, it says he meaning God. And the reason it does is because at the end, at the core of all of Satan's movements is a superintendent called God. It's called sovereignty. Nothing's out of his control. Not, no, no evil is out of He controls and sees everything. And so what God sometimes does is God sometimes will allow you to go down this path of what we call free will and making bad decisions. And then he oversees it. He doesn't cause you to do it, but he sits over and oversees it and he uses it for his glory and your punishment or sometimes your good. Y'all quiet because y'all don't... Look at Genesis. Look in the garden. What happened in the garden? Satan tempted Eve. You can't tell me God was like, well, I didn't know how did Satan get in the... No, God super... God watched it and somehow he uses it for his glory because right after they fell, we get the promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You don't get the promise in Genesis 3.15 of Jesus unless we have Eve falling to Satan. So God doesn't allow it, but sometimes he sit up and he says, oh, you done made a mistake. Now I got to use it for my glory. The decision is 100% yours, but the outcome is always 100% his. It's called divine sovereignty. He ain't surprised. He ain't caught off guard. Our God uses good. He uses bad. He uses the ugly. He uses evil. And he uses all of it for his glory and sometimes our good. And in this case, for David's punishment, 70,000 innocent men have died. But the question is, are they really innocent? Are they really innocent? Because verse one also says that the anger of the Lord kindled against who? Israel, not David, Israel. So in other words, apparently all of Israel wanted David to count this census. All of Israel would have seen Exodus 30 where God said, don't do it. But somehow, some way, all of them wanted David to count. And so were they really innocent? The, quest, the, the answer is no. So God taking 70,000 guilty men and killing 70,000, I'm like, I'm surprised it's not more. See, when we read scripture and we like, oh, God is a grumpy old man sitting in heaven and, and, and just smiting everybody. I'm sitting here always going, oh, God is gracious because he actually held back because he could have killed everybody. He should have killed everybody. 
Do you know it's the same as salvation? Do you know it's the same as salvation? That, that, that none of us deserve heaven, that none of us deserve the grace and none of us deserve the mercy of God. If we got in based on merit, none of us would get in, but God has to be gracious. And so if he allowed one person, just one of us to get into heaven, God is extremely gracious. But the fact that he allows a room full of people to get into heaven is nothing but his grace and his mercy. Stop focusing on the 70 and look at the ones that he didn't kill. Read Romans 9. When you get home, read Romans 9, where it talks about the, the predestination of God. Can I teach a little bit here, y'all? Where it talks about the prayer, how, how God selects. And you know what? The one who rejoices about God selecting is the one that has been selected. You know, in, in Romans 9, it says, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. If you're Jacob in the room, you're like, yes. If you're Esau in the room, you're like, bruh, like, what did I do? Nothing. I just don't want you. And you're like, oh, man, that's, that's not fair. Well, what's not fair is that he loved Jacob. Oh, it's not fair because Jacob is guilty just as Esau is. And the fact that you took one is grace. Y'all hear me in this room? That same passage, he says, I make a vessel of honor and I make a vessel of dishonor. If you are the vessel of dishonor, you are you. And that's the thing. Some of us got uncles that don't know the Lord. And you go, well, what do we do with Romans 9? You pray because you don't know who God actually selects. In the text, 70,000 men have died. I choose to say, God, you're gracious because they all should have died. I choose to say, God, you're merciful because they all should have died. Now, here's what's messing me up. I messed up that this is the ending of David's story. Bro, this is David. I'm dumbfounded. I'm baffled that David, one of the greatest kings, one of the most, yes, he made mistakes, but one of the, the most godliest kings, we get the ending of his story and it's not positive. I was reading this and I genuinely said to myself, God, why did you give us chapter 24? You could have ended in chapter 23. You know why? Because chapter 23, look at the inscription above the text. The last words of David, he's talking about the faithfulness of God in the last chapter. Let's end there. Why do we end with David not on top? It, it, it behooves me to remind you of my topic today. Still searching. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, Verse 17 says, then David spoke. This is, you would think his last words were in the last chapter. Watch what David says when he speaks. He says, behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me. And my father. I'm sitting there going, yo, what? This is David. The first introduction you have to David was him killing Goliath. Is that not mighty? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy the armies of God? When everybody else was scared and shook, David steps up as a representation of Jesus, the future king. He steps up and he kills. This is like, yo, this is David. This is David that they sang songs about. Saul slains his thousand, but it's David that slains 10,000. This is David. When the worship team was singing and, 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 and Colin got to that part, um, I can search for all eternity. And he was talking about searching for all eternity, but you ain't going to find nobody like Jesus. What I think is at play here is the reason you get chapter 24 and David dies in 1 Kings 2, the two more chapters later. The reason we get this is because God wants to remind us that David is not the king you were looking for. 
The king you're looking for is David's king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ. David is repenting at the end. Now, remember, Israel, in the beginning, they were begging for a king. Moses wasn't a king. They were begging for a king. God gives them Saul. But when he does, he says, look, God says he's going to take. He's going to take from you. He's going to take from you. Pointing them that you don't want this man-made king. What you need is Jesus. And I believe that somebody in this room, you're still searching. Right right now, you still have too much hope in a type of David. You're still searching. You You have too many kings on the throne of your heart. And we would never say it. We would never say there's something else that's my master and there's something else that's my Lord. But if you look at what, what drives you and what pushes you and, and, and what, where, where you go for comfort, it's typically, if we're not careful, it's typically not Jesus. I would say to you, there's another king on your throne. You're trusting in David. You're, you're trusting in man. And somebody in this room is still searching. And I believe that your search can stop today. What is, what you're find, where are you finding identity? Where are you finding security? Where are you finding happiness? Some of us try to find that in our parents. They fail us. They're a type of David. Some of us find we're married. We find that in our spouse. Our spouse fails us because they are a type of David. Some of us find that in our occupation. Your occupation will fail you. Because it's a type of David. Some of us find that in, in, in community. And, and I don't mean community within the church. Say, you know, whatever our circles are outside. And we try to find our identity and our purpose. And I know it's true. And this is why, you know, you can be with one group. And you talk one way. And you get with another group. And you talk another way. And you get with Because you're searching. And it's a, it's, you're chasing a ghost. You will never find what you can find in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's facts. You will never find it. And so you can search for all eternity, but you won't find it. I'm going to end here, but I want to point out one thing, and I want you to read it on your way home. When you get home, read it this week. Read the rest of the chapter, y'all. The rest of the chapter, verses 18 to 25, David really wants to repent. And so what he does is he goes and he finds this guy, uh, 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 um, Arana, and he, f- he finds this field and he says, that field, I want to, al- I'm going to build an altar and offer up a sacrifice to the Lord. And, and so he goes to Arana. He says, I want to buy the field. And Arana's like, this is the King of Israel. You ain't buying this field. I'm going to give it to you. And what does David say? Ah, uh-uh. cause I'm not going to make a sacrifice that don't cost me nothing. And so he rejects the offer of, free, of a free piece of land and he buys this piece of land and he builds an altar. Now, this is the way my mind works when I'm studying scriptures. I want to know the exact location of that altar. Where was the location that David repented and gave, an, and, and gave a sacrifice to the Lord? Second Chronicles 3, 31 gives me the location. It says, so Solomon built began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father. So the location in which the altar had been built for the Lord was Mount Moriah. Do y'all know another place, Mount Moriah, something that happened on Mount Moriah? Abraham and Isaac. You remember the story where, where Abraham was about to sacrifice his own son? And God said, wait, 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 steady your hand. Don't do it. I just want to show you this. I promise I'm closing it. I'm done. I'm going to show you this and I want you to study it when you get home. I want you to see the similarity 
in the same piece of land, thousands of years apart. Look at the similarity. In verse 16, it says, when the angel stretched out his hand, does that not sound like Abraham? Toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented of the calamity. He said to the angel who was working destruction among the people. Watch what he says. It is enough. Now stay your hand. Same verbiage. Same. But here's the crazy part. At the end of Abraham's story, he looks over in the bush and he sees a substitute. The substitute is what I want you to see today. That what that what is driving you and, and what, what you're running after and what you're chasing and what you're searching for is in the bush. Because the ram was a representation of the substitute that Jesus, my God, that Jesus becomes on the cross. That over a thousand years ago that Jesus sat on the cross and became our ram in the bush. Be- became our sacrifice. Became our, it's called substitutionary atonement. That Jesus died in your place. In other words, you and I should have been on the cross. But here you have Jesus willingly goes to the cross to be sacrificed on your behalf. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Man, I did really good timing today. I'm proud of myself. Really proud of myself. There's somebody in this room that's searching. Worship team, y'all come on up. Y'all, you're searching. You know it too. And you're searching for something that you'll never find. Not in man. At the core of what you're searching for is fulfillment. There's a big hole spiritually in your life and you're trying to fill it with a whole bunch of other things. This is why we change so much. We can't figure out what we, what we want to do. We can't figure out who we want to be with. We can't figure out what our hair should look like. And, and we always are changing and changing and changing. It's because there's no stability in our life that we find in Jesus. What are you searching for? You didn't come to church today to just hear a sermon on a story. You came to church today because you're searching. Let's just do it. I ain't got a lot of time. Worship team going to come up here and I know brunch is going to be popping today. So let's, y'all trying to beat the rain. So I, let's do this quick. If that is you, if you're like, I, I've been searching and I know I have and I didn't come to church because I wanted to come to that altar. That's embarrassing. I came to church just to sing and hear a word, but you actually came to church because God has been pursuing you as you're searching for him. If you're searching for him, he's allowing you to do so. It's mercy. Do me a favor. If that's you, if you're searching, just come down to the altar. Wherever you are, just come stand around the the, the stage. I, I see you. Thank you for coming. Come on. Thank you for coming. Come on. If you're searching, come on down here. Come on down here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a good, thank you for coming. Y'all come on, y'all move on down. Come on, come on. Maybe you're not moving because you're like, wow, the person next to me, you know, that came with, they don't know I'm searching. They don't really know. Here's the thing the Lord knows. Thank you for coming. I see you. Thank you for coming. Lord, I pray for each and every individual that's on this altar. I thank you, God that you pursue us. Lord, the fact that people have responded today is them acknowledging that they've wandered. I don't know where, I don't know the stories, 
We probably could pass this mic and hear some crazy stories, but at the core, thank you for coming. At the core, oh God, it, it is you that is pursuing them. And so Lord, I pray that from this moment on, that the search would be over, that they would find what fulfills them. They would find the, the place of purpose, that they would find the, that, that peace, that shalom, that, that the wandering of the mind, that you would settle their spirit and settle their mind. Forgive us, oh God, for being wishy-washy and having one foot in and one foot out. Lord, forgive us today. And we thank you, oh God, that you are gracious, that you send warnings and you send your word. You help us to see where others in scripture have got it wrong and you sent it so that we would, we would learn from it. So Lord, I pray, oh God, for this young lady that's on the altar. Pray that her life would forever be changed. May this not be a, a, a fit. May this be a process of continual change. Pray for this young man and these young men that are on the altar that are saying today, I'm in front of people, I'm coming up because I, 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 want, I really want to stop this wandering and searching for, for emptiness. And I want to be filled and fulfilled in you. And so Lord, would you give clarity? Yes. Would you give clarity? Would you help them to see the assignment? Would you help them to see what it is that you put in them? Would you, would you remove those that are around them that are causing them to stay on this endless search and put before them people who say, can remind them, you already found the answer. Stop searching. You won't find nothing better than Jesus. Nobody ever talked like him. Help us to remember that nobody lived like him and nobody died like him and nobody's coming back for us like him. So therefore we rest in what Jesus has done. Lord, I pray, oh God, that there would be something different about those that came on this altar, that our, their friends would see the difference, that people around them, if they're, if they're married or in relationships, that the people around them would see the difference in their lives. This is not hyperbole. Change them, transform them, do something miraculous. And as we end this year, oh God, we end this year with a new focus new perspective. We end this year settled and secure in who you are. So we thank you, oh God, for each and every individual that's on this altar. Do the miraculous, do the work. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.